purpose. It fulfills God's call on my life to shepherd the flock in the Word in joyful confidence, surrounded with intimacy. This is humble boldness. Welcome to Humble Boldness. This is Kevin Warner, lead pastor at Lighthouse Community Church on the south side of Des Moines. How are you guys doing? I am doing good. As I record this, it is a Monday. It is the Monday before our church officially opens back up. So we're planning on opening up May 17th. Uh, we've been you know, in quarantine-ish. In Iowa here, we have not had a shelter-in-place initiative set. But we've had online service for the last eight or nine weeks, depending on how you count that first week that was half in, half out. But we're excited. I'm excited to go back to church on May 17th. I woke up early this morning, got up at 4.50 a.m., had a little French press, and read some books. I think I read four books this morning, chapter from each of those books. That's kind of my my thing. I read about three to four books each morning, a chapter from each. And then I went up and I had uh, some cold brew, cold brew coffee mixed with almond milk. I, I've always thought of saying, you know, I want my coffee with almond milk makes somebody sound kind of a coffee snob. And that's probably what I've become now. Um, that I have four coffee makers and all of this coffee that I'm drinking. Our topic for this episode is the sovereignty of God and human suffering. This has been a big issue for me over the years, especially the sovereignty of God. I'm going to get into a later episode and talk about Calvinism and Arminianism. It's been on my mind thinking of how I want to present that. But that debate right there uh, where it talks about sovereignty and human responsibility, that's that's on my mind a lot these days. And thinking about the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, how does God's sovereignty fit into that? How does our own suffering fit into this? And to look at this, uh, I'm going to look at Job chapters 1 and 2. And I'm not going to read Job 1 and 2 for you. So if you want to stop this now and read Job 1 and 2, I'm going to describe it and talk through it. But that may be helpful for you to stop right now and read Job 1 and 2. First off, though, let's talk about God's sovereignty. What does it mean that God is sovereign? Now, you can think of that word as a king. We use that phrase that uh, he is a, a sovereign of his nation. So he is in complete control. He's the ruler. In a similar way, that's what God is. He is in complete control. He is the ruler of this world. Nothing happens outside of his will. Nothing happens that he's surprised by, that he doesn't will or allow to happen. He is not constrained by anything or anyone else. He does what he wants, and what he wants is always good. So God is sovereign. We see this throughout Scripture from the very beginning in Genesis where he creates everything, even time and light themselves, 
to the very end where he knows the future. He knows how things are going down. He makes it happen purposefully by allowing and acting in the end times. Now the second problem we have or issue we have is the problem of evil. And it kind of goes like this, that, okay, there's evil in the world, but God is good and he's all powerful. How do those things go together? If God is good and all powerful, then he has the desire and he has the means to destroy evil. But, but why is there still evil in the world then? Maybe, maybe the, the, the kind of thought goes, maybe he's really not all that powerful. Maybe he would like to end evil, but he doesn't really have the power to do it. Or, or maybe they say, maybe he really isn't that good. He's just kind of playing with us, lying to us maybe that he is that good. He's powerful enough, he can do it, but he doesn't really want to. You could think of this question of why do bad things happen to good people? Or there's, you know, all of these questions that you can think of for yourself. Have you ever seen a good person receive a lot of good things? Awards, lots of stuff? Sure, yeah, you have. Have you ever seen a bad person receive good things? Sure, we see evil people thriving all the time. Have you ever seen a bad person be paid back for what they've done in this lifetime? Oh yeah, all the time. Have you ever seen a good person get nothing or worse, suffer? Yeah, all the time. All these things happen and in between even, uh, there are plenty of proverbs and stories in the Bible of, you know, the good receiving blessing and honor and land and possessions and the evil being thwarted and punished. And so some, even today, consider that to be, well, um, this idea that you can be prosperous, you can be rich and famous even, if you are just good all the time. God will bless you. So how do we solve this problem a little bit of the problem of evil? Here's, here's a few things I would say is, first off, um, God is still sovereign in this world with evil because he allows suffering to happen and suffering will often come out for our good. It helps to shape us, to grow us, to help us to have empathy for other people, to suffer and then to help other people um, when they are suffering. The cross is the perfect example of why uh, God allows evil. God took the worst possible thing in the world, this destructive, terrible object of the cross and turns it around into good. Uh, we also have sin in the world and so sin is uh, a form of evil that we commit, that we choose to commit and God allows us to, for this time being, um, dabble in those things. And kind of like this idea of suffering and why it's, evil is out there, uh, it teaches us and it builds us character when evil happens. So let's talk about Job. Job is presumed to be the oldest book in the Bible. You might ask, well, why isn't it first then if it's presumed to be the oldest book? Well, there's a section of the Bible called wisdom literature. Uh, 
Think of the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. They provide kind of wisdom on really hard, difficult issues. And for Job, this question of why, why do bad things happen to good people is the persistent question. So we begin with this fact, this um, verses 1 through 5, this idea that Job is blameless and wealthy. From the very beginning, verse 1, we see that he is talking about as blameless. He is upright. Uh, he's one who fears God. He turns away from evil. And he has tons of possessions. Lots of sheep, lots of camels, oxen, lots of female donkeys. Not sure why they're specified as female, but lots and lots of servants also. And he has kids. And one of the upright things that he does is he says, you know, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So continually he makes burnt offerings for them just in case that were to happen. Now we know that nobody, the Bible tells us, is totally perfect and righteous. Nobody lives up to God's glory. No, not one. So even though we can say that he is um, blameless and upright, we know that he's not perfect. But that's not really the issue here. Um, we also have this sense, maybe they made an encouragement to us to pray for our friends, pray for our family, for God to forgive them, to look upon them with favor, as Job does with his own kids here. Well, next we get into verses 6 through 12, where we have this very strange, only time this happens in the Bible, story where Satan and God are talking. I can't think of anywhere else in the Bible where Satan and God talk, have a conversation. Now, in Revelation, they battle, they interact a little bit, but I can't think of any other conversations that happen with Satan and God. But here we have Satan and all of the angels, that's what the sons of God is saying here, come before God and they're, they're conversing, they're talking, and, and God says to Satan, you know, from where'd you come from? And he says, oh, from the earth, and then going this way, going that way. And, and God says, well, look at Job. And he, he names all these things again that Job is. He's upright, he's blameless, turns away from evil. And, and Satan is just not quite convinced. He says, does he really, does he really fear you, God, for no reason? I mean, you put this hedge around him, you've protected him, you have blessed him. It just take away all of his stuff, all of his possessions, all that he touches, and he'll curse you to your face. I guarantee it. And God says, okay, behold, all that he has is in your hands. Go ahead and do it. Uh, but do not stretch out your hand against him. And Satan goes and does this. Now, a couple things. First off, we can be comforted to know that God does put hedges of protection around us. That's not denied by God, um, even though Satan says it here. But we do see this here that, and we can see this from our own experience, that God does protect us sometimes. He um, stops evil from happening to us. Not all things, right? We still have evil and suffering and sin in the world, but he does in some ways protect, have a hedge around us and our stuff and our, our friends and our family. The question becomes, though, who is in control here? Is it God? Is it Satan? Who's really in control? Notice 
notice toward the end that in verse 12, uh, God is the one that says, Behold all that he has in your hand. He almost he gives this to Satan. It was his. He allows Satan to do this. So God is allowing this to happen. But he does kind of um, uh, say, No, you cannot go this far. Do not touch this. So God is allowing. He's permitting. But he's giving boundaries then. God is still the one totally in control and allowing this to happen. So then in verses 13 and 19, Satan attacks and Job suffers greatly. All of his donkeys, all of his servants, all of his sheep, his camels, his sons and his daughters are all dead. I mean, it's 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 almost comical if it wasn't so tragic. Every time somebody comes in and says, this terrible thing happened, I was the only one to escape. Just as he's finishing up, another person comes in and says, I was the only one to escape. Job does not turn this around in anger to talk about the what the Sabians or the Chaldeans, how terrible they are. And, and all of us can relate to suffering, whether it's losing a loved one, whether it's losing possessions from a storm or bad financial advice, whatever it was, we can all relate in some way. Now, Job responds. He responds in verses 20 to 22 by doing a couple of things. First, he, he cries out and he, he is in pain. He, he arises, tears his robe, shaves his head, falls on the ground, and then he worships. He says, you know, I didn't bring anything to this world. I'm not going to take anything with me. Lord's, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, this is amazing. This guy has lost everything that he has, and now he is worshiping God, blessing him, and saying God is the one who takes away, God is the one who gives. And then, and then the narrator steps in and says, in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Notice that. That's very interesting, very important here, that God is affirming through this scripture that he takes things away. That's part of his sovereignty. That's part of what he does. It's not that he was surprised by what Satan did. He's not surprised when our possessions, our family, our friends are taken away. God is sovereign, working in, allowing that to happen even in this lifetime. How would you respond if all of your stuff was taken away? Would you respond like Job and worship and, and bless God? I mean, you, you need to prepare yourself because someday God will test you, if he hasn't already, by taking things away from you to see how you respond. Because often, in your most joyful or your worst moments, what we worship comes out. If it's drinking, drugs, pornography, whatever, that's your go-to that's what you worship. Well, Satan is not done here. Again, we have a similar incident then in, in chapter 2 where um, God and Satan are conversing again and God looks to Satan and says, have you considered Job? I mean, I took all of his stuff away. He still holds fast his integrity. 
you incited me against him to destroy him without reason, and he's still a pretty great guy. Satan still doesn't believe it. He says, skin for skin. You know, uh, you know, all that a man has, he will give for his life. You, if you, God, you take away his own flesh, his health, basically, he'll curse you to your face. And God again says, behold, he is in your hand. Only this time, spare his life. And Satan goes so far as to give Job uh, loathsome sores or boils from his foot to his head. And it's so bad that he has to take a piece of pottery to just scrape at himself. I mean, it's just this disgusting way of looking at this passage. <laughs> I mean, if your body was harmed, if you had cancer, if you had COVID-19, whatever, would you respond like Job with worship and praise? Would you respond by cursing God to his face as Satan wants Job to do? Again, notice God is the sovereign one here. He is one that is saying he's allowing each time. Uh, behold, he is in your hand. Verse 6. Only don't do this. Only spare his life. Do not kill him. Um, he permits, he allows, but he also puts boundary on what Satan is allowed to do. Now, verse 9 is interesting. His wife approaches him and his wife incites him also and says, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. She has the sense that um, if he were to just lash out toward God, God would just send a lightning bolt from the sky and kill him there on the spot. She just says, end it all y'all, end your misery and be done with it. Job responds and says, uh, you're a fool. You're a crazy woman. I'm not sure if that's how I would respond if my wife responded to me that way. I was talking to uh, our youth ministry about this, and there were some moms that were on, and, and they gave the, the thought that, you know, Satan doesn't really know what he's doing here. I mean, if Satan knows human beings well enough, uh, taking away your kids would be the last straw, not your health. If your kids are taken away, um, you know, you could probably say, what else, God, or what else, Satan, can you do to me? But then Job's response in verse 10. He says, you know, you're a fool, but we should receive good from God. And my ESV says, shall we not receive evil from God, or others say trouble from God. In all this, again, the narrow steps in and says, Job did not sin with his lips. Again, this is crazy. This is amazing. This is the narrator. This is God-inspired scripture saying that good comes from God. Even trouble or evil is from God. I like the phrase allowed by God. Some people like John Piper go so far as to say that God um, is sovereign and does evil in some sense, but that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Finally, um, verses 11 to 13, they're almost like kind of at the beginning of the next sermon you could do, uh, next teaching, but it talks about 
his three friends. And for chapters three to, I forget, 35 or 30 in Job, they are awful. They tell Job how terrible he is, how unrighteous he is. He must have sinned secretly. God's punishing him. That's the whole reason why this is happening. But look what they do. They come immediately. They come together. They come to comfort, to show him sympathy. They weep with him. They tear their robes and they sit with him for seven days. And this is the best part. For seven days, they do not say a word. They see that his suffering is great and they let Job speak first. If you have a friend who is suffering, don't go into a theological diatribe and try and tell them how sinful they are. It'll be okay. Don't worry. Trust God. Just be with them. Be there in silence. Cry with them. Weep with them. If they've lost something dear, a loved one, a child, a family member, anything, their health, just go be with them. (laughs) These three friends did that. There's some hard questions in all this, you know, for a believer, would you rather lose your your stuff or your health? And if you lost one or the other or both, how would you respond? How do you prepare yourself ahead of time to worship God when bad things happen? But ultimately, we know that God is the one who is in control in this story. It is God and not Satan. While Satan incites God While Satan does these things, God allows, he permits, he provides boundary then. So God is sovereign. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of evil in the world, God allows it to happen for his good and perfect purpose. Hey, I'd love to hear back from you guys what you think about this. How have you experienced God's sovereignty in the midst of suffering in your own life? Hey, this has been Humble Boldness. This is Pastor Kevin. Hey, encourage you guys to subscribe to this podcast. Rate it on whatever platform you're listening to. Hey, hope you have a great rest of your day and your week. Love you guys. Stay humble and bold.